This is Dropout Nation. I'm Rashawn Biddle. Today on The Conversation, Elisa Villanueva Beard of Teach for America talks about equity, social justice, and building a stronger group of recruits to serve America's children. Welcome to The Conversation at Dropout Nation, and we have Elisa Villanueva Beard, the president of Teach for America. How's it going today? It's going well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, hey, thank you for being on, and thank you for what you and your fine recruits are doing throughout the country. Thank you. And so, you know, let's start off with, you know, one question that has sort of come up over the past couple of years. You know, some of the, you know, one of the issues that people point out is that, you know, Teach for America in the past few years has become really more vocal in sort of its equity and adequacy in education mission and going in some ways beyond that to issues such as, you know, protecting DACA, youth who are under DACA, the Obama era administration, um, immigration program, and even working in native communities, which has in many ways and dealing with and supporting folks such as DeRay McKesson and Brittany Packnett in their Black Lives Matter work. And that has been criticized because, as far as they're concerned, it's far away and far afield from Teach for America's mission. The question that I have to ask is, Do you does Teach for America think that is far away and far afield from its mission? Well, um, I think that it's important for people to understand the problem as we see it um, and what we're trying to work towards. And, you know, we're obviously part of a broader effort working to solve the problem of educational equity and excellence. And, you know, for us, we ground ourselves very clearly on the belief that potential is equally distributed across all lines of race and class, obviously, but opportunity is not. And we know that in our country today, the circumstances of Etel's birth literally predicts her future opportunities in life. And at TFA, we just reject that. We say that's just not the way it should be. It's not acceptable. And we're committed to creating a world that is different for every child. And so if you understand that that's what we're trying to do, and if you, and, and so the question becomes like, so why is it that this is what our kids are up against? And we know that children growing up in low-income communities lack access, you know, to just bro- a broad spectrum of resources and opportunities and attend schools that are not equipped to meet them. We also know that um, this disproportionately impacts children of color and who are more than two times more likely to, to be born into poverty and who just bear the additional burden of low expectations and other biases. And then thirdly, we also know that our public education was built over 100 years ago and has not changed nearly enough. And it is not designed to ensure that our students, you know, get the agency and the leadership to overcome the barriers that they have to face and and, and be able to lead in this dynamic global world that we're a part of. And so at TFA, we are solving a problem that addresses that. And we know it's going to take many interventions um, for us to be able to really get at the root causes and there is no single solution that is going to ensure equitable and excellent education for children Um, but we know that leadership matters nothing happens without it and so that is why 
at TSA, we believe like we just need sustained leadership working within and outside the system to challenge conventional wisdom, the status quo, um, by demonstrating what is possible. Um, and we know that change requires a broad and diverse coalition of people that are working towards this and um, translating what we learn from proof points into policy and, and practice. And so our mission is very simple, Rashad. It's to find, develop, and support a diverse network of leaders who are going to expand opportunities for children um, from classrooms, but also schools and every sector and field that shapes the broader systems in which schools operate. And we've got to approach it in that way. And so, of course, our work starts in the classroom, um, and we're working to ensure excellence in the classroom and building the leadership skills and mindsets necessary for systems change. And that is our primary contribution. Um, and, and so, and I often say, gosh, the classroom is like a microcosm of all the inequities facing our kids. But the idea is that we don't, it's it, like just focusing on the classroom is insufficient. We do need great teachers in every single classroom in America, but we know we also need great principals. We need great system leaders. We need great policies and policymakers. We need to take on ensuring every kid has great access to nutrition, you know, um, to, to homes, a place to sleep, um, and all of these impact kids. And so for us, we bring folks into the into this field through education and then expect them to pursue their passions as they see the inequities facing um, our children. And they take on, you know, a diversity of ways of, of, of taking on the problem, which is necessary if we're going to move the needle. Interesting. And so the question becomes, and this is, you know, I'm going to take this position of a reformer, a more okay. traditional school reformer. Well, mm -hmm. but, okay, yeah, sure, these inequities are important, but at the end of the day, we have this, we have this one big system, and it's schools, and we can't address all these issues. I mean, I, how do you mm -hmm. deal with that pushback, which is, that's, that's the argument, that's the argument that's coming from the other side here. Right. Well, um, we believe that our teachers, you know, need to be excellent in the classroom, and we focus on that, and, you know, the data bears out that our teachers are, in fact, having a positive impact in classrooms across the board. Um, our kids don't live, live singular lives, right? So they, they come to school, they have all of these needs, we have to address them. Um, and and the, the truth of the matter is that our teachers in schools today are dealing with all these issues that kids bring into the classroom. Um, and ultimately, we need systemic solutions for them. Kids sleep in, in cars because they are homeless. Um, kids don't have access to adequate nutrition. Um, kids need glasses and don't know how to get them. And kids need high expectations and a rigorous curriculum and accountability and need to be affirmed in their culture and community. And we believe that ultimately all of that needs to be taken on. So when our, our teachers are in classrooms, their primary charge is to deliver on the promise we make to kids every day, which is you deserve an excellent education. Um, and it is through addressing that that you just learn of all these needs. And so it is our alumni who go on to address these issues. I mean, a third of our alumni force stays as teachers. Um, but then we have many others that go on to be principals and, you know, policymakers, political officials um, go on to, to, you know, be activists. And we think all of that 
is necessary for change. Um, and and we know we have a very broad, big coalition. We have 56,000 folks um, that are core members and alumni, and they have a diversity of views on how change will happen quick. And for us, we're working to nurture this broad and diverse coalition to work together, learn how to build, you know, coalitions to make change locally because we know that change is going to happen from the ground up. Yeah. And you know, specifically, let's get into the matter of DACA because okay. it's really – that has been a prominent area for Teach for America mm-hmm. in the past few months. It, I mean what in particular drives drives you and drives the organization to even be involved in this? Yeah. Well, let me – so let me just say a, a word about um, – how we think about policy positions. So we do not think that we should be taking many policy positions at Teach for America because we believe decisions should be, you know, locally driven and what's what's best for the Mississippi Delta might be different from a place like San Francisco or Hawaii or whatever. Um, and, and as I said previously, our Teach for America community really does have a diverse set of views on what are the best answers to drive change. Um, and we see our greatest opportunity as creating conditions for our community to come together to have respectful and rigorous conversations that help us learn, you know, sharpen our own thinking, and are just constantly looking at data to evolve to, to better serve our, our kids and, and move towards equity and excellence for all. However, um, there are a narrow set of issues um, that we have that we believe are in our lane that we have learned over time over, you know, we've now been around for 27 years that clearly create access and opportunity for children that we just must speak up again uh, about. Um, and that is what drives our decision making um, as a nonpartisan organization. It is an approach that is student centered. So we're not working to appease any side of the aisle. And sometimes, you know, we make one group happy, one group upset. And, and that is, you know, it, 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 it varies based on our decisions. Um, but we are focused on doing, you know, what's best for kids. On DACA, you know, at TFA, we just strongly believe that individuals brought to the United States as children should be able to, you know, pursue an excellent education without a threat to deportation. And we believe that they should have pathway to fully participate in our American society as citizens. And um, that is why we are advocating. I was just on the Hill earlier this week for a permanent bipartisan legislative fix for dreamers um, that provides a pathway to citizenship for these 800,000 DACA recipients. And, and at Teach for America, we're obviously all about attracting just the very best talent to join us in this effort. And so we took a position on this at 2013 because we knew that obviously there's great talent amongst, amongst um, this community. And so since then, we've brought 200, almost 200 leaders with DACA status into classrooms and so are today teachers. Um, and obviously, we have undocumented students that we teach. And so for TFA, um, you know, we now part of our community, our core members of alumni who are documented. And if you just zoom out to the big picture, I mean, there are 20,000 educators with DACA status across this country right now, which makes significant, you know, contributions to our communities. And the elimination of this would just be devastating, not only to our core members and alumni and, and thousands of students who would be left without teachers, um, who are eligible for DACA themselves, um, but to our entire community. And so that is why we have, like, we totally see this in our lane. And, and honestly, if everyone just steps back on this, I mean, if, 
this one to the floor today. I mean, this is supported by both sides of the aisle. It's, you know, it's, it gets complicated. We start to talk about the whole immigration reform. Um, but this is one of those things where we just, we don't see this as a partisan issue. It's one that involves children. Um, and, as, and, and we should protect our children. Yeah. And this, and going away from that issue to the base, you know, the basic goal of Teach for America, which is, of course, to provide children with high quality education and which means you have to recruit as many people as possible to do that work yeah. with it, with high quality. Um, you yes. Know, TFA has had, you know, there was a period of time where TFA had a few years of declines in applications and that has improved over the last couple of years. What has what has TFA done to actually address that issue? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we stemmed the decline last year and actually had a 5% growth in our applications. So last year we had um, 48,000 applications, a 15% acceptance rate. Um, and I think, as you know, Rashawn, which we're really proud of, nearly 50% of our core are people of color, a third first-generation college graduates. And that's just so important as we know the research that says how important it is to have a diverse community serving children who are, you know, majority students of color and, and this benefits all kids, you know, white kids, kids of color, um, but particularly kids in low-income communities. To, you know, it, we, we know the research is telling us that it um, helps with uh, attainment and achievement in, in their academic performance. Um, but what we changed was, you know, we really – as we grew really fast, we sort of um, were not fully um, in sync with the, the behavior patterns of, you know, the millennials and what they were doing. And as the economy started to improve, um, recruitment got more challenging and we have more competition now than ever. We're competing with technology firms and, you know, the, including Google, Facebook, et cetera, um, but also the consultant groups, graduate schools and banking firms that we've always competed with. Um, but we have had an approach that was focused mostly on seniors. And um, what we were learning is that our most competitive candidates were actually making decisions about their first job um, at the end of their junior year. And so as we were, you know, out on campuses, you know, senior year trying to get you to join us, a lot of our folks already had made a decision about what they were going to do next. And we also have learned that um, this generation just was, it wants more ex- experiential experience, you know, experience, actual experiences, um, understanding what they're getting themselves into. And so it just takes a, it's a longer process. So the biggest move that we made is we are just starting earlier in the recruitment process. So really focused on, you know, sophomores and juniors. And um, this last year, 1,100 of our core came from juniors. And that number is just only going to continue to grow. And I imagine that in the next two to three years, half of our core will be coming from the juniors and, and will be accepted as, as they go into their senior year. That's interesting. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Have you looked at even going as far as college freshmen? Yes, and that that is going to be the the next move that we consider um, because you know it's it's a very aggressive um, you know climate on recruitment of these folks, and you even see with especially um, people of color on these campuses, they're just highly sought after and have lots of lucrative opportunities. And so getting to folks earlier 
really have an experience, a direct experience with um, in classrooms with students is important. We launched our very first internship this last summer um, because that just seems to be really essential. It's a really competitive program that is working to recruit just the very, very top talent on these college campuses to have a seven-week experience doing real work in low-income communities with our alumni. Um, and that has that is proving to be a promising path forward as, as we look ahead. How many interns did you recruit last year? Very small. So we wanted to start small to see if it would work. So we had 37, um, but we had an acceptance rate of like 4%. Um, we had a, quite a few applications. We wanted to be incredibly selective um, and, you know, we'll expand it as we go into next year, given the learnings from this past summer, but lots of promising learnings from it. Yeah, it's interesting. And here comes the other side of the question of, you know, for okay. those of us, for those of us who are a lot older, uh, you know, the recruit, you know, the issue is that a lot of folks want to get into teaching who are mid-career professionals. Uh, they've done law and other fields, but the reality is they're not going back into school to go do that work. That's just not that's not going to happen. Has Teach for America looked at those folks as well? Well, I mean, given our mission, which is looking for the very best leaders out there who are committed to educational equity and excellence, you know, we welcome all folks. Obviously, we we focus on college campuses as part of our theory of wanting to get people to do this right out of college um, because we know that it's so much harder to turn to, you know, to do something like this, go be placed in an urban and rural community, working in low-income communities, right, if you don't do it right out of college. And at 22, you have less commitments and are, you know, are able to to make such a choice. And so, and, and we're obviously trying to shape the career choices that our folks make forever because, you know, 85% of the folks that joined as have joined us in the past 27 years had no intention ever of going into education. Um, yet on the back end, 67% remain in education. 84% are working in either education or are impacting low-income communities somehow. And so for us, this is not about a, it's not a two-year commitment. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, really engages people, changes hearts and minds and gets them to do this for life, which is why we focus our energy on college campuses and, you know, people early on in their career. Um, but we're open to everyone. We're looking for every last leader who wants to commit to, you know, working um, for educational equity and excellence. And so a third of our core, or just over a third of our core right now, Rashawn, actually are not college graduates. They're folks who are right out of graduate school or have had another profession and are choosing to join us. So we do have a, a cohort um, that, that matches that um, demographic. Listen to the Dropout Nation family of podcasts. Also, read Dropout Nation every day for your news and commentary on the reform of American public education. And listen up for the new Dropout Nation podcast debuting in December. This is Dropout Nation. I'm Rashawn Biddle. You have a great weekend.